Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast. This is episode 267 for the 19th of Av in a leap year. So today, I want to talk to you guys about a teacher I once had named Mr. Egan. Mr. Egan taught logic at Marinopolis College, which is where I went to school before going to McGill University. So in Montreal, there's like this interesting setup where after high school, you graduate high school in grade 11. And then there are two years where you go to this pre-college called CJEP where you sort of figure out what you want to major in, what you want to specialize in before going into university. So during my time at CJEP, I was in a program called Liberal Arts, which was a very rigid program in the sense that all of your classes, or most of your classes anyways, were really set out for you. There weren't a lot of electives. And one of the classes that we had to take was logic, which I actually really enjoyed. It was really interesting. And it made it even more enjoyable because the teacher was highly entertaining. Why was he highly entertaining? Well, Mr. Egan was one of those kind of people, which I'm sure you've all encountered at some point in your life, who was really, really, really smart, like very high IQ, but to the point that he sort of like, he was just very eccentric. (laughs) Like it was hard for him to relate to regular people. It was hard even for him to teach the class. (laughs) He even expressed to us sometimes how he really like kind of didn't like his job. He was just there because he, you know, he needs to make a living. What's he going to do? And he especially kind of looked down upon us because we were liberal arts students. So you know, we're not science students, we're not in math and that kind of thing. So he really, it, it was it was not enjoyable for him really to teach us. And he had a really hard time breaking the concepts down. In the beginning, he did a pretty good job when we were just learning like the basics of, of logic and just like the really introductory stuff. And I really loved it. It was actually really interesting for me. Uh, but then at a certain point when things got to get a little bit more advanced and he felt like it was like, going over some of the students' heads, instead of really trying to uh, break down the material in a way that was palatable to us, he resorted to just kind of, and I hope I don't get him in trouble for for talking about this years later, but he just would write proofs on the blackboard of different, different type of mathematical logic proofs, and he would have us copy them down, and that was pretty much the whole class, and it was like, I don't even know if he had tests after that, like it was just like him kind of in his own world, not explaining anything, just like writing out these mathematical proofs and having us copy them and and that's it. And then we'd leave. And so it was really bizarre. And every so often he'd interject with like quirky stories about his life or about math in general. And so it was entertaining on the one hand, but it was also like 
at a certain point, not super educational. And the reason why I bring this all up, because I'm sure, like I mentioned, you probably have encountered people like this in your life who are just like really smart, brilliant, brilliant kind of people, but they have difficulty in communicating, difficulty in expressing themselves, particularly difficulty in, in, in terms of teaching what it is that they know. Like they have all their knowledge up there, but to actually bring it down and to actually... Uh, explain it to people takes a lot of effort and work, which Mr. Egan, for example, was not willing to do. <laughs> so uh, by contrast, sometimes you find these professors, sometimes you find these teachers who are really gems in the sense that they're just as brilliant as a Mr. Egan or someone like that, but yet they do, they take the time to, to teach and to find a way to teach and to find a way to be relatable to their students and to make the subject matter relatable to their students. But this isn't something we should take for granted because in order to do this, it actually takes a lot of effort. It actually takes a very strong amount of what we're going to talk about constriction of the thoughts. Like it's if you think about a Mr. Egan or an Albert Einstein or any of these people, it's like they have so much going on in their minds and to take all of their thoughts and all of their ideas and to be able to bring it down in a way that's relatable to a simple liberal arts student, let's say, or to a simple five-year-old or even somebody in high school or whatever it is, a simple person on the street. Like you take like a neurophysicist and, you know, some random person at a party asks them, what do you do for a living? For them to be able to explain it to the layman, it takes a lot of effort. And what we're going to be learning about today is we're going to see how this idea of this like highly intellectual type of person and the constriction that they need in order to convey their ideas can be seen as a really apt analogy for understanding how God creates the world and the amount of constriction that has to come from God's wisdom in order to bring the world about. So we've talked about this in the past. This isn't a new idea, but we're going to come about it in a, from a slightly different angle today by specifically looking at a, an interesting term that's used in Brachis, that's used in the Torah in, and that's in in describing the creation of the world and describing the way that God created the world. And that term is where it says, which to, the way that it's translated is when they were created. But we'll see that this is a very interesting word. And it's it's not a typical word. It's not like a hibaram. It's like, it's not really what you would think would be the simplest way to describe creation. And we'll look into why specifically that word is used in terms of describing the creation of the world. So let's get into the text. And uh, for context, we are still in the middle of Epistle 5 of Igeris HaKodesh. And so here we go. So the Alter Rebbe begins with this analogy that I just gave. So he says, here we see with the lower man, by way of example, somebody who's a, who's very, very smart, a great chacham, a great sage, and can think about many different types of wisdom. And then he contracts his mind and his thought in one into one letter of his speech. This is a very, very great contraction and a very great descent for his great wisdom. Right. So it's like in order for the for the wise person to express themselves in language is it's a great descent. It's a great constriction. And this is just exactly like this by way of analogy, says the Alter Rebbe, And even more than this, to an infinite degree, is the great symptom, the great constriction that is needed 
that happens when we talk about this idea that God created the world through his speech. The, the six days of creation uh, happen through God's speech and that through the spirit of God's mouth, he created all of them. In Hebrew. And that's, that's from Tehillim chapter 33, verse six. And so what is this Dvar Hashem? What is this, this, uh, this speech of God. So we've been talking about this for a while in the past few episodes, that this, this, the origin of all of this is the letter Hey of the name of the Yudke Vavke of the Tetrachromaton. Um, and this Hey is described as being a light letter or an Aramaic, an Atta Kalila. So now when we look at this phrase, which I mentioned in the introduction, the Hibara'am, which is in found in Brashis chapter two, verse four, so, which literally, like I said, it says this is when they're describing when they're describe when the Chumash is describing the creation of the world. It says Bihibaram, like these are the chronicles of the heaven and earth Bihibaram when they were created. So it's it's a very it's it sounds very biblical Bihibaram. It's like this. Um, if you're familiar with Hebrew, it's like a very archaic kind of way of saying when they were created. Uh, but if we look at it more etymologically, behibaram in the Hebrew, like you look at the letters, then you break down that word. It actually says behibaram, behibaram, behibaram. God created them through the letter he. So we see actually an allusion to this word behibaram that into to this idea that Hashem created the world through His speech, specifically through the he. And this hey, which is the last hey of God's name, the yud Vavke, is the source of the nine utterances, which came out from the first utterance of Breshit, which itself is a created utterance. So basically, which is described in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, page 32a. So basically, which, and this Breshit is called, is, is the aspect of Chochmah, which is called Breshit. So be, let's break this down a little bit. So basically, um, when we look at the creation of the world, the world was created through 10 utterances. There's 10 utterances of creation, right? And the first of those 10 utterances is Breshit. And Breshit is this idea of like, it's it's a creative utterance and it, it stems from Chochmah. Why? Because Chochmah is called Reishis. Chochmah is called the first. And Breishis also it's, has that word in it, Reishis. It's, it's also the first. So everything stems from Chochmah. Chochmah is the beginning of it all. But then from that Chochmah, from that Breishis, came out, emerged the nine other utterances. So it's not like each utterance came about individually. It's the, those, the nine utterances that followed that first utterance came out from the first utterance. And these the source of these nine utterances is this hey, is this last letter hey from the Yud Kevavke? So that's the first understanding, a way that we can understand this deeper wave of, of uh, the deeper meaning behind this word Behibaram. And now we're going to see that there's actually this word Behibaram actually has another hint in it at something else. Because what is it that's also interesting is that usually the way things work, as we've been learning a lot, is that there's like relationship between the lower realms and the higher realms. And there's this thing in Aramaic that's called the Esarusa de la Tata and Esarusa de la Ela. So Esarusa de la Tata is an arousal from below and an Esarusa de la Ela is an arousal from above. And we've learned already previously that often in order for there to be an arousal from above, there needs to be an arousal from below. So Hashem is kind of waiting for us to do mitzvahs to to dive into him something like that in order to elicit a response from him from above 
this is we talked about this idea in terms of male female dynamics that we often think of the fact that like the initial uh, chasing comes from the man but we talked about how actually you can say that the woman can begin the process through being receptive to his advances however in here we're going to see that in the very beginning of the creation it this actually the the descent that was required and this this uh, issuing forth of energy flow that that was required that that caused creation to happen happened without any arousal from below at all. There was no Esarosa Delatata because there was no person. There was nobody to do the Esarosa Delatata. In uh, in the um, Chomesh, it says, Adam en ein lavod chule. This is from Breshis chapter four, verse five. There was no person to act. So it was just, it was a totally, you know, there there was nobody to do the Esarosa Delatata. So because of that, then this act of creation through God happened because God desired kindness. Chafetz chesedhu, it's called. Ki chafetz chesedhu, he desired to act with kindness. This is from Micha chapter 7, verse 18. And so this is why we know that the world was built through kindness. This is from Tehillim chapter 89, verse 3, where it says, Olam chesed and so this is why, so where do we see an allusion to the fact that this was, that the world was created through chesed? This is also in that phrase of bihibar'am, that, and they were created. So, and, and when they were created, why? Bihibar'am, you switch around the letters a little bit, it's actually an acronym for Avraham, for uh, Avraham Avinu. And we know that Avraham is very much associated with, with, uh, with chesed. Right, so it's an interesting little idea, and that's the end of the section. So basically, to sum it up, this we learned about how the creation of the world through God and through God's speech that came about through the letter Hey is a very, very big contraction on God's part that we can liken to, but actually to a much greater degree when you have somebody who is very smart, a very wise person, a very intellectual kind of person, and the amount of effort and constriction that's needed in order for them to express their wisdom into words. It's a very big deal for them to do that. So for God to create the world is like that, but much, much greater to an infinite greater degree. And it comes about through God, through the hay, the hay, which is the last hay of the Tetragrammaton and which is associated with Malchus, and which is like the origin of speech. That's how it all happens. And this is alluded to the to that phraseology in the Chumash where it says, Behibaram, Behibaram. And that phraseology of Behibaram also hints to the fact that it's done through God's Chesed because Hibaram is an acronym for Avraham, and Avraham is associated with Chesed too. And this is a Chesed that came about without any arousal from below. It was just totally like altruistic on God's part, just giving before receiving. And so that is it for today. And we're going to continue with this section. It's a long epistle here that we're learning, and we'll continue with it tomorrow. And I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzchak ben Benyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.